Well, hey, good morning. We are certainly glad that you're here this morning. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Shane. I'm one of the pastors here at Mountain View Fellowship, and we're always glad that you come to worship with us and be with us uh, to celebrate what God has done for us. So thanks for being here. A couple things I want to do before we get into this morning's message. I want to draw your attention to the cards in front of you. I know if you're here with us regularly, you're like, I hear this all the time. Uh, but we really do. We want to make sure that everyone that comes knows that we want to connect with you. We want to have the opportunity to get to know you and also be able to share with you what Mountain View has to offer and be able to talk to you about uh, what it means to know and have a relationship with Jesus. So uh, if you would like to connect with Mountain View, if you want to find out more about us, if you want to just know what it means to be a part of Mountain View, any kind of connection you'd like to make, please fill out that Connect card and drop that in the offering when it comes by. And then also the prayer card, that's the blue one right below it. We believe in the power of prayer, and we want to be able to pray for you. So please... Take some time and fill that out if you have a prayer request. There are people that want to pray for you this week, and we believe that chances are if you're here, there, there's probably something on your heart uh, that you would like someone to pray for you about. So don't be shy. Share those requests and let people pray for you. You can put that in the offering as well when it goes by. Well, I want to encourage you to look at your bulletins. Uh, we give you these so we can make sure you're getting communication about what's going on. And I always, this, this uh, last Friday was a great example of, you know, it's like, well, we give these to people, but they don't seem to read them because we had this, uh, we had the uh, missions dinner uh, last night on Friday night. We talked about it for a few weeks. Well, it said in the bulletin it was at Mountain Life Church and not at this church, but we had about eight families come here and uh, then go, where is it? And we're like, well, we had that. It was written for four weeks. So anyway, so take a minute and look through it. Make sure you know what's going on. But just a couple things I want to draw your attention to. One is Operation Christmas Child. This is our big outreach for Christmas. So if you're wanting to participate in something, a, a gift, act of generosity, if you want your kids to participate and kind of remind them that Christmas is not just about them and not about their gifts. It's, you know, they, this is just a great act to be able to do that. You'll see we've already got some shoe boxes that have been collected here. Uh, so over the next week or so, we're collecting more boxes. Our goal is to collect a thousand boxes. Um, so we're going to have the packing party on the 10th from 6 to 830. Um, and want to encourage you, bring your boxes, bring the stuff that you want to fill the boxes with, and come down, and we'll just pack boxes together, and you know, there'll be food, and it'll be fun. If you, if you don't want to make that night, or you can't make that night, no problem, just bring the boxes uh, whenever you can get a chance to do that. The second thing is we need people to sign up to be box collectors, so we're going to be open for hours for people to be able to bring their boxes, anyone in the community, because so, a lot of people in the community participate in this, uh, people that don't go to the church. So we, uh, we need to be open to collect those. So if, you're, if you've got some time this week, we, we, we're open like every other day, morning and in the afternoon. Uh, if you've got some time that you would like to volunteer to come down one day or two days and do that, it's a great way to just meet people and, and help out in this kind of endeavor. So uh, if you've got time to do that, just go to the table, the Operation Christmas Child table, and they will give you the details for that. Other than that, you can look through the bulletin. On the 18th, we've got some stuff coming up for men, uh, and uh, we've got a 50-something Thanksgiving service, so we'd love to share that with you. 
Well, this time, um, I get the awesome opportunity to not preach today. I get the opportunity to just listen to a great sermon. And uh, so I'm going to invite Dana up. If you, if you haven't met Dana, Dana has been with us now for about six months on and off as he's trying to transition himself moving up here. Um, and he's basically just decided that he feels, believes God has called him to Utah to help in church planting endeavors. And uh, so he's, gonna, he's kind of partnering with us as well as some other areas to do that. So, uh, at this time, I'm going to turn the mic over to Dana. Thanks, Dana. Dane. Am I good? Check, check, check. There I am. Hey, good morning, everybody. Sure good to see you, and thanks for being here, and uh, it's exciting for me to be able to share with you, and uh, I just I love Mountain View, and, and I've gotten to know uh, a lot of you already, and look forward to getting to, to know all of you. And uh, it's just exciting. Glad, glad you're here this morning. You know, we've been digging into uh, God's Word the past uh, several weeks, in, specifically in a letter that Paul wrote to the Christ followers in a town called Philippi. So it's the letter to the Philippian believers. And so that's what we've been looking at. And we've been learning an awful lot about our attitude in this study, right? So that's kind of where our, our main focus is, our, our attitude. And before we, uh, t- well, today we're going to look at the attitude of maturity, so that's where we're going today. But before we do that, I want to talk about another attitude real quick, and uh, it's the attitude of appreciation that we all certainly need to have. Uh, now, originally, when, when Shane asked me to speak today, he wasn't going to be here, so I thought, good, I'm going to take a little opportunity to, to say this, and then it turned out he was here, so I'm not trying to embarrass him or anything. But I, w- I wanted to talk about this uh, whole idea of appreciating those who are in leadership over us. I don't know if you know this or not, but during the month of uh, October, it's, it's called uh, Pastor Appreciation Month. Churches all across the country, they honor their pastors and, and ministry leaders and, and encourage them and all those kind of things. And uh, Shane's too embarrassed to ever instill anything like that, and uh, so I, I'm going to do it. So, because what trouble can I get into? So anyway, I just want to encourage you to, uh, to appreciate your ministry leaders here, uh, Shane and Tanya. Of course, uh, they're the great heart to come here to Utah, to come to Heber specifically, and to begin this church. Wow. It's, it's just amazing. And so many lives have been touched and, and changed through them being here. And then there's a whole great ministry team that's here, uh, people that are working with youth and worship and children and uh, it's, it's just really a blessing. So if you would just do something that I think would be very powerful, and that is maybe just send an email or a letter or a card to, uh, to Shane specifically, but to some of the other ministry staff, they'd appreciate that too. It's not that ministers have this you know, really fragile ego. They need people to pump them up all the time. It's just that there's, there's a lot of spiritual warfare that goes on in ministry. And having people that are there saying, I, I'm praying for you. What you're doing means a lot to me. I appreciate it. And maybe you can even cite something that you've learned recently, some way that you're growing in Christ, and that would be a huge encouragement. And if you want to, a lot of churches do. I'm not telling you you have to do this, but it wouldn't be bad. Put in, uh, buy them a gift card to a restaurant or something like that. Just say, hey, there's a little treat for you, for you guys. And uh, I don't think Shane's in this service. Oh, there he is. He is in the service. <laughs> okay. Hope you're not embarrassed by that, Shane, but we do appreciate you and, and uh, Tanya and lo- love you guys and the ministry that you're doing here. Amen. All right. You ready to jump in this morning? We're in Philippians chapter 3, so if you have a Bible with you, you can turn right over there, Philippians chapter 3, and uh, 
we're going to read. I think scriptures will be on the screen here. Maybe not, but uh, if you have your Bible. Oh, you have ones right there in, the, in your seats. I forgot about that. So find Philippians. We're in chapter 3. It reads this way, verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Now, we've mentioned in this series, and I've heard it several times, that Paul is writing this letter uh, to the Philippians from prison. He's in prison writing this. It's not because he was a bad guy and had to go to prison. It's because he was preaching the gospel. He was telling people how Jesus is the answer. And uh, people were threatened by that, and so he's placed into prison. So that's where he's writing from, and just because of his faith. But check out the attitude. I don't know what you'd be feeling like if you were in his situation, like, what in the world? Where is God? What has he done? You know, why has he abandoned me? And I don't understand. And he's not like that. He's got this attitude of joy. It's, and this is part of our maturity in Christ, by the way, is to have an attitude of joy in our life. It's not the first time that he said it. If you look back in chapter 1, he talks about it there. Again, it's in chapter 2. Here it is in chapter 3. When we get into chapter 4, he's talking about it again. It's very, very important. And he says, it's no accident that I'm repeating this. <laughs> because he knows it's vital that we get this. As a matter of fact, he says it's a safeguard for us. What does that mean? What protects us? Being joyful will protect you during those times in your life when everything is just falling apart. And so we keep our joy in Him, despite our circumstances, a critical component of our maturity. There is so much pressure against us in our life to not make us a rejoicing person. Have you noticed this at all? Or is this just me? Am I the only one that weird things happen to? Don't you find that there's just so many things in life squeezing against you and stealing Joy, it's all around us. Circumstances, enticing temptations, greed, selfishness, stressed out relationships, criminal acts, accidents, disease, death, terrorism, trials, disappointments, all those things. I'm feeling a little bit hard to get my joy today because I'm a huge Dodgers fan and, and we just went through the World Series and that was like, oh, I didn't expect a loss there. I, I, I thought we could beat Houston and that didn't happen. And so, where's my joy? <laughs> These things happen to us. They happen. Uh, a, week, a week ago, I was leaving here and going back to, we still live technically in Colorado, but I, I ran into a deer late at night and Messed up my forerunner, and that wasn't too happy either. But all these kind of things go on in our lives. You know what I'm talking about because you have those things too. And Paul knows this. He knows what disappointment is like. He knows horrible circumstances in, a, in his life. He writes from a prison cell, and yet he's rejoicing. And you would say, well, what is there to rejoice about? And I'm so glad you asked that question <laughs> because that's an important question. How about this? If you've placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you said, I'm giving my life to you, I'm following you, then you've got a lot to rejoice about because the Lord justifies us, He adopted us, He saved us, He delivered us, He loves us, He guides us, He leads us in our life, He died for us, He's coming back for us, He gives us access to the Father. We have that boldness to be able to talk to Him 
God the Father, the Almighty, we can do that. He brings healing into the brokenness of our lives, and He gives us victory over our struggles with sin and an eternal hope. And that's a pretty good beginning right there, just to have some joy over those things. I love this passage from Habakkuk, the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament. It's chapter 3 and verse 17. It says this, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Now that's written to a culture that is primarily agricultural. So that's why all the references to the, the crops aren't there, man. The stuff's not growing that's supposed to grow. The, the sheep aren't in the pen. There's no cattle. I mean, it's just empty. It's bleak. So you live in a different world, and so maybe if this was written to you, it would look a little bit different. So how about this? Though the washing machine breaks down and the hot water tank leaks, though the vacuum cleaner makes funny sounds and smells like it's going to burn up, though the car won't start and I lose my glasses again, Though I'm concerned about something in my body, and maybe I just lost my retirement in, in my investments, though I want kids and I can't have any, or I don't want kids and I have some, uh, whatever, I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll rejoice in the Lord. It's so important, and it's part of our maturity to have this attitude of rejoicing in all we do. Now let's go to verse 2. Paul says here to watch out for the dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Just curious how many of you have a dog. Okay, quite a few of you. He's not talking about your dog, okay? You don't have to watch. Maybe, maybe some of you do need to watch out for your dog. I don't know. But our pets, that's not what he's referring to. In fact, we just got a new dog. Um, so it's not like this kind of dog. Put this up on the screen. Uh, the, we just got this like two weeks ago. It's a little Maltese named Lacey. She's a, like two pounds. She's only going to get to maybe five. Uh, you don't have to watch out for this dog, okay? She's not always going to look all foo-foo like that, but she did it for the picture. Uh, that's, not, he's, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about vicious dogs. I think we have a picture of a vicious dog here. Watch out for these kind. Watch out for those dogs because there are some vicious wild dogs, and he's not talking specifically about animals. He's really talking about people that are trying to steal something from the power of the gospel. Watch out for those people. It's very, very important. Now, just to kind of give you the background on this, the movement of the gospel, the gospel first came to Jewish people. Those were the first Christians, Jews. Jesus was Jewish, and the disciples were all Jewish. They followed Christ. So that's where the gospel began to spread. But Acts 1.8 says this, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses into Jerusalem and Judea, which is the area still Jewish-held territory, and Samaria, which crosses the line now. Those people were like some Jewish influence there, some pagan influence, so it's kind of a different world. And you can see in the book of Acts, this is exactly what happens. The gospel starts there, just as it has been, it has been prophesied and moves into Samaria. There's a lot of ministry activity that happens there. But Acts went on to say, into the uttermost parts of the earth. 
And that's what the gospel has done. And so Gentiles began following Jesus too. That's pretty exciting because that's what most of us are. We're Gentiles. We're not part of the Jewish tradition, but the gospel has come to us too. Now, when non-Jews started following Jesus, it shook up the original followers of Christ. They were like, hmm, these aren't Jews. And they were very exclusive in their thinking. So, like, well, if they're going to follow Jesus, they need to be a Jew first because you have to be a Jew before you can come to Jesus. So if you're a Gentile, you come right over here, get in this line, become a Jew, then you can become a Christian. That's the way the thinking went. So it was kind of disrupting a lot of things. And, you know, one of the things they did was, in fact, the, the big mark of Jewish males was circumcision. So that, that was like, okay, come and stand in this line. And so it just kind of put a little damper on, I'm not so sure about following Jesus. But that was the kind of the stuff that was going on. And ultimately, with this observation of what God was actually doing by bringing Gentiles to him, people said, he's really moving. So they had this council of church leaders. It's recorded for us in Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council. And a decision was made there that Gentiles do not have to be circumcised. That was huge. And they went on to say they, they don't need to become Jewish to follow Christ. So, no distinction. And you, and you see that decision very clearly made. Now, here's the problem. As Paul goes and he's on his missionary journeys and he's taking the gospel to Gentiles, there were some people, some Jewish believer-type people, they're called Judaizers, and they were convinced that all those people still needed to become Jews. So they followed along the missionary path. After Paul would leave, they would sneak in there and begin to throw this bondage on the people and say, well, you know what, That's, the gospel is pretty good, but there's something you need to add to that. You need to work. You need to have some legalism. You need to have some religious responsibilities. We're going to add these requirements to you. And that's what Paul says, those people are the dogs because they're trying to take away from the power of the gospel. Some of them are thinking, well, why not add some religious requirements to this whole thing? What could it hurt? Well, the answer is it does hurt. In fact, it cripples genuine faith. Back in 2004 at the Summer Olympics in Athens, a man named Matt Emmons was participating. He had already won one gold medal and he was preparing to win his second one shooting, okay? been a very historic thing for him. So he's in, uh, he's in the Olympics. All he has to do is to hit the target. So he gets to his position there, and he takes aim, and he hits a bullseye. And he's thinking gold medal. One problem, he hit the bullseye in lane three, <laughs> but he was in lane two. Score, zero. Nice shot. Wrong target. So let's talk for a moment this morning about this. Beware of self-righteousness. And you'll have this in your notes here. Beware of self-righteousness. It's not just missing the bullseye. It's aiming at the wrong target. Self-righteousness is the wrong target. So let's talk about some specific targets that are wrong. Number one, rules and rituals. Again, back to verse 2. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we, us, who are the circumcision. We're, we're the children of God here. That's what he's saying. 
we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. In other words, following the rules doesn't make God love you or accept you more. Some of you are like, this is blowing your mind because you grew up with performance stuff. Maybe in your family, there were expectations laid out for you. Do this, get the good grades, do these jobs, then you'll be accepted, then you'll be loved. Keeps going right into adulthood. Get the right education, get the right job, get the right spouse. Performance, performance, performance. And if you ever felt like you weren't hitting that, you didn't feel accepted in your family. People have carried this into relationship with Christ. And it's not the gospel. It's not about performance. Romans 3.21 says this, But now apart from the law, outside of legalism, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness... Do we have this on the screen? We don't have it on the screen. I'm just reading it to you. I was going to ask you to help me out on here. But this righteousness is... Here's the word. It's given... This is Romans 3, 21 through 24. Righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. It goes on to say there's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That's how righteousness takes place. Anything else is a wrong target. Wrong target number two, heritage and self-discipline. And people do this all the time too. Let's read here, verse 3. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. And then he, it's a little parenthetical statement here, because he says, if this was possible, if you could achieve this on your own, I'd have done it. And so he goes through this little litany here, beginning at verse 4. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. (laughs) Circumcised, this is his resume, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, talking Pharisee here. Top chart. As for zeal, Paul says, I had all the zeal. I was persecuting the early church. And, and we read that in Scripture. He was like, we'll stamp out this threat to our religious existence here. As for righteousness based on the law, catch this. He says, I was faultless. Didn't mean he was without sin, but he said, I was doing it. But all of that didn't work. Paul is saying, if it could be done that way, I would have taken the prize. That's not how righteousness comes to us. It's not about the fact that your parents went to church. And they were religious, so I'm just part of that, right? No. It doesn't matter where they went or what they did or what they were doing. Maybe they were dedicated followers of Jesus. You have to make a decision to follow Jesus. You have to be a follower, a dedicated follower of Him. It doesn't just happen. What's the big deal with all these things? They seem like such good things. Well, when we trust in the rituals, when we trust in our heritage instead of, or when we trust in our personal discipline instead of trusting in Christ, it actually leads us to believing that what we've achieved 
somehow has attained the righteousness for us, and therefore, God owes us something. I did it. I worked hard. I did all this stuff. I hit. I hit the targets. So, God, you got to love me now. you got to give me salvation now. See what it does? It, it puts God owing us something, and that's not the gospel. The gospel is all about realizing that there's nothing I could do. There's nothing I can attain to. It's, it's just him, and it just drops us to our knees, and we go, God, thank you, because I am lost without you. It's nothing that I could ever do, but you've given free gift to me, and that makes me love you. It makes me worship you. It becomes the springboard for our whole Christian life and how everything works off of that. So Paul, because of these things, he's not asking us to just kind of sweep that away or, or shelve it in, in some way. He actually uses this language. He, he's telling us to flush this stuff away, this self-discipline, this legalism, this uh, heritage, uh, thinking I, I've achieved it or I can achieve it or whatever. So here's the point. Don't merely, this should be shelved. Don't merely shelve it. Flush it. Okay, verse 7 through 9. This is interesting. Read this with me. But whatever regains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. That's all that heritage stuff he had going on. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage. We'll come back to that word in a minute. That I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Let me go back to this word that is translated for us here, garbage or rubbish. The word that Paul used, and he wrote in here, and he's writing in the Greek language, the word he put in there is skabalon. Skubalan. Can you say that with me? Let's try it. Skubalan. You have no idea what you just said, do you? Okay. <laughs> here's, here's the word. If we were using this word today in our language, we'd say stuff like, Skubalan happens. Okay? That's what this word is. Or, the Skubalan hit the fan. <laughs> Same thing. Or, <laughs> I call bull Skubalan. <laughs> Okay, or he, he doesn't know Jack Skabalan. That's what this word is. Okay, and you said it. So uh, he's actually using a derogatory word to describe how off-target self-righteousness is. That's what it is. It's just a bunch of Skabalan, and he's really very serious about this point. He's, he's talking about the things that we deposit in our toilets, not just set on the shelf. Most of us today, we have toilets in our homes, right, okay, uh, workplaces, public places, all these toilets are connected with pipes to some place, and, and we just, we're glad, just get it out, I don't want it still here, none of us stands around and say, I'm just so sad to see that go, we're just happy, <laughs> boom, okay, go away, I don't want to think about that anymore, nobody cares where it's gone, it's just gone, that's the big thing, uh, and, and so, why flush? Because things like legalism and self-efforts and performance and trying to rely on heritage and self-discipline and all these things, that's skabalan, and they tempt us to trust in those things instead of trusting in Jesus. That's why they're so dangerous. 
And that's why we don't just think, well, let me set it over in the corner there for a while, and, and then I, I know where it is if I need it. No, actually get rid of it. Everything else, Paul says, in life is just a bunch of skabalan in comparison to knowing Jesus. Let's talk about the right targets. The right target is following Jesus, not doing your own performance. It's following him. Paul writes, I want to know Christ. This is verse 10. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Here's the point about this following Jesus thing. It's not always easy to follow Jesus. Sometimes there's some hardships, and Paul, he talks about that. There's some hardships that are part of this process. The right target is seldom the easy target. It's trials, right? You've experienced them. Trials in our life. But that's part of it. Jim Elliott, the famous missionary, said this, he's no fool who loses what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It's okay to go through trials because it's attaining something positive for us that's working to the purification of our faith. In fact, this, Romans 5, chapter 3, reads this way, Rejoice in trials. I don't know anyone that goes, Lord, just send me a trial today. That would be so fun. We don't, we don't do that. Most of us are like, please, no trials. But here it says, Rejoice. when you do get them, because everyone gets them, rejoice in your trials because... And here's the reason, because trials produce perseverance, perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. Important. As long as I'm alive, I haven't arrived. That's part of your notes there. As long as I'm alive, I haven't arrived. Verse 12, not that I've already obtained all this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He's not talking about trying to get saved. He's already saved. He's talking about just that prize of walking with him and glorifying him and praising him and, and just living within the destiny that he's been called to. That's what he's talking about. Last week's message is a great reminder that none of us have arrived yet. And that's okay. But we continue to push, to press in, to know Jesus more until the clock stops for each of us. Finally, the best way to follow Jesus is one step at a time. Sometimes it might seem a little overwhelming to you. Oh, just how do I get from where I'm at here to being a, a really mature follower of Christ? And it seems like I see somebody else and they seem mature and I don't know. How can I get there? And maybe I, I, it overwhelms me. It's just a step at a time. Just day by day, just saying yes to Jesus in your life and, and walking with him. Uh, verse 15, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. So spiritual maturity is largely the product of time and experience. It's not knowledge. It's just walking with him day by day. Don't give up. 
If something doesn't seem clear to you, it's all right. You don't have to understand everything. Just keep walking with him. Trust that God will bring some clarity in that area of your life. And in the meantime, be patient and trust in him. Here's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus doesn't ask us to become good enough for him. He just takes us where we're at. With all of our junk, with all of our brokenness, all of our hurts, all of the habits, he takes us just like that and he begins his work. He gives us his righteousness instead of relying on ours. That's a gift. And then, hallelujah, because he starts a a refining work in our life. Now, we're going to cooperate with that, but we're not doing that to get saved because we get saved by his gift to us. So we come, just, just imagine this center point right here is salvation. On this side of it, we don't have to work hard and clean up and do all these things to get here. He just says, come as you are. He gives us his righteousness. There it is. Now, on the other side of this, as I step to this side, now I want my life to be about him because I'm so thankful that he's loved me and, and he's done everything for me. So I want to start living. So I'm going to start making changes in my life. I want my life to glorify him. So changes will take place. He's going to be my Lord. But that's not to get him to love me. That's because he loves me. Do you understand the difference? Because it's huge. And, and that's, that's the key. So we want to do that. And that's the beauty of this whole thing. We have his righteousness. It's free. It's not earned. Identity determines behavior. Behavior doesn't determine our identity. Just chew on that for a second. You don't do stuff to gain an identity. You serve God because of the identity that you already have. If you have kids, you understand this. Your kids didn't have to perform. They didn't have to do something to become good enough so that they'd be your kids. They're your kids. Now, each of you probably have certain guidelines and expectations within your family. Like, since you are my kids, here's the way we operate as a family. Here's some of our rules. Here's some of our guidelines. Here's some of our expectations. Here's how you're going to talk to your mom. Here's how you're going to talk to your dad. Here's how you're going to talk to each other. All these kinds of things. That's because you're in this family. That's not what you have to do to get in. That's the idea that we're talking about here. Behavior never determines our identity. It's the other way around. Many, many years ago, when I was uh, 20 years old, I was driving a, uh, it was a muscle car, a GTO. Anyone ever familiar with Okay. <laughs> GTO. I had a 68 GTO. I'd drive around, and I was crazy with it and all that kind of horrible stuff. But uh, this one day, I was, in, I was in another town, actually, and I saw these uh, kids. They were driving some kind of sports car, and they, were, they thought they were so cool, and they were, they were just being ridiculous, okay? I mean, driving across grass in a park and the whole deal, you know. And, and I don't know what came over me, but I just, uh, for some reason, I don't even know why I had this. I had a spotlight in my car. I flipped on the spotlight, and, and so they thought it was a cop. So they stopped, and uh, so I was going to tell them, you know, they were being idiots and everything, but then since they obviously thought I was a cop, then I thought, well, let's just play this through. So uh, <laughs> I know it's wrong, and are there any police officers in this service? We, we had one in the early service, okay. Uh, so I, anyway. Um, I just asked them for their license and, you know, all that stuff. I didn't throw them up against the car or anything, but uh, I just, I, I told them they were being idiots and, and knocked that stuff off. And, and a couple of them went over to my car and they're looking inside. Oh, my gosh, I've never seen a cop car that looks like this. This is so cool. Uh, but, but all of that to say uh, that even though I was pretending I was at that point, I wasn't. 
The behavior I may have been exhibiting was like a police officer, but it didn't make me a police officer. So Christian behavior is good, but it doesn't make you a Christian. When you do become a Christian, when you become a Christ follower, now we want to start... Identity determines our behavior, not the other way around. That's what I want you to get there. And so we're all called to grow closer to God in how we live and how we interact with each other, but we're not called to self-righteousness, we're not called to performance, we're not called to legalism. Shane invited me to go along with him uh, a week and a half ago to a... It was a meeting in Salt Lake. It was a staff meeting of a large church down there. And as we were sitting in this meeting, uh, they were sharing just some victories, and they had this really wonderful victory the previous Sunday, which is two weeks ago today. This happened. Um, there's a, a guy that's been a big part of uh, a very predominant religious organization in the state, well-known, New York Times best-selling author. I'm not saying his name because that's up to him to make that uh, announcement. But his wife had started going to this church and she was hearing about the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. And she decided to become a Christ follower. So he started coming to this church in Salt Lake, Christian church, and listening to all this. And he's, he's the, he listens to the worship and he's just moved by worship and he's moved by the power of the word and so he's talking to one of the worship guys at, at the end of one of the services and he was saying I love what you guys are doing and I'm, I, I'm very very moved but we just we're not the same we we believe a lot different and and I'll never cross over that line well he keeps coming and he's hearing the gospel two weeks ago today he said today I'm stepping over the line <laughs> and I'm giving my life to Jesus and following him. And you know what was a real clincher in that service? They, had, uh, they were going through this series. They, they, uh, they wrote this worship song. I'm going to read the words to you because this talks about everything we've just been talking about today, which is the power of the gospel. Listen to this. This is the song that they sang in service just two weeks ago. Word of God that became flesh... I'm going to start again because I want you to hear this in a way that somebody that's been locked into performance and religion and legalism, hear this with those kind of ears and let it just blow you away. Word of God that became flesh, cornerstone of righteousness. Humble king has come to earth, led to die upon a cross. The only way that we draw near, the only truth in place of fear, the only life that we can live is Jesus Christ, our righteousness. Salvation found in no one else. He broke the chains of shame and guilt. Let me just interject. That's exactly what performance and legalism will do to you. It'll put you in chains. And make you feel guilty. Let me go on. Behold the glory of the Son declared our victory. It is one. And Christ alone has set us free. His cup fulfilled on Calvary. He's made a way our debt is paid. From death to life we're saved. The song closes with this bridge. None shall add 
or take away from what you've done, for it is done. None shall add or take away from what you've done, for it is done. And over and over they sang that bridge. And a man, scales fell from his eyes. It's like, that's what I need. That's the power of the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word because it's life. It's power. Lord, I know that some of us have grown up in legalism and performance, religious-backed maybe. We've always thought it's about trying to be good enough and do things on our own. Then you'll love us. Then you'll accept us. Thank you that people's eyes are being opened. They're discovering what the gospel is, the good news. Set us free from that. Eyes are still closed for just a minute. I just want to ask you, because we had tremendous response in early service this morning, probably a half a dozen different people that just responded to this same invitation that I want to give you today. So you keep your eyes closed for just a second. I just want to ask you, maybe it's been a little bit mixed up for you. And it's been more about, what can I do? What do I have to do? Am I doing enough? How do I know when I've done enough? It's, it's been about performance. It's been about rules. It's been about regulations. It's been about legalism. It's been about what you can try to put together. And maybe you're just hearing this today and you go, wow, that's what I want in my life, the real gospel. If you just look up at me, I don't want you to do anything. Just, I want you to catch my eyes because I just want to remember you just in this prayer today. And you say, I want to say I'm following Jesus today, not my own efforts. I'm following him. Are you looking at me, sir? Okay, gotcha. You looking at me? Good. Anybody else? Just I want you to look right, right in my eyes. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? See, this is a powerful moment. This is life-changing stuff. Lord, we thank you so much for each heart that has just been touched right now. People are saying, that's what I need. I need the power of the gospel in my life. And I pray right now that you will do a regenerative work in our hearts and lives. Just wash away all that's old and may we begin that walk with you, that day-by-day walk with you that's life-changing. We thank you for the miracle of spiritual birth for it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Let's worship some more.